The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, We're going to be in John chapter 15 today. We're moving right along. If you're a guest with us this morning, uh, let me just welcome you to LifePoint Church. My name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor and the teaching pastor here. And uh, we've been going through the Gospel of John uh, for a little while now. And so we find ourselves in John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can raise your hand on up. We've got some of those coming around. Uh, If you just want to borrow that one, you can use it. If you don't have a Bible or own a Bible, uh, then we we would uh, encourage you to take that one with you. That's our uh, gift to you. But we're going to be uh, in John chapter 15 this morning. Uh, I was uh, on social media last week, maybe it was last week, uh, and I saw a video which uh, was funny yet very um, not funny at the same time. It, it was funny and it was sad, at almost. Uh, simultaneously. Have you ever seen anything like that or experienced something like that where you think it's kind of funny, but, but in the same time, it's, it's kind of sad? Uh, let me tell you what this video was about. It was about this young man. He was probably 18, 19, maybe 20 years old, and uh, his life really revolved around video games. And uh, everything that he would do, he'd spend his time in his room playing video games. He would uh, spend his life uh, playing video games. And his dad was constantly telling him uh, that he needs to, uh, at some point, get out of the bedroom, uh, get away from the video games, and maybe, uh, maybe do something social, maybe, maybe find a job. All right, and so there was a, a high recommendation that this young man whose lives revolved around video games would actually go out and get a job. And so what happened was one day the boy, uh, he went into his bedroom to find that all of his video games were, were gone. I mean, there were some cases there on the floor, and he was looking through them, and, and he started to panic a little bit because, because he knew that, that his video games were gone, and probably dad had done something with his games. And here's the brother videotaping the whole thing. And so the boy, he starts to panic a little bit, and he runs out into the backyard, and he runs across the deck just in time to see all of his video games scattered uh, on the lawn in kind of this, this random pile, and his dad is sitting there with this commercial, probably 50-inch lawnmower getting ready to run over the video games. Oh my goodness, right? I mean, it's going and it's revving and he's like right there. And, and the boy, he comes and he stands like, here's the video games and here's the boy. And his dad's over there and, and the boy is just pleading with him. Dad, what are you doing? Don't, don't do this. He starts to panic a little bit and, and he starts to freak out a little bit. He's like, Dad, don't do this. And, and he's like, what is this going to accomplish? Is this even going to do anything? This is, this is so much I've worked for. And, and his dad is like, you need to get a job, you need to stop this. You need to stop this way of life. You need to stop doing this thing. You need to go out there. And the boy begins to plead with him because he's so into this. He begins to plead and he says, Dad, this is my job. This is my job to, to be good at video games because someday I'm going to be a, a career gamer. And this is, this is what I want to do. And this is my job. And the, and the dad just continued to plead with him. No, this is is not what it's about. And so after a couple minutes of arguing, 
The brother's capturing the whole thing. You can hear some comments in the background. Oh my gosh, what's he going to do? The dad, he drops it in the gear and blows over hundreds and hundreds of dollars of video games. I mean, it is in shreds. I mean, it's everywhere. And at that moment, that, that young man flipped out. I mean, I don't know how else to explain it. It was like he was in awe and he was almost motionless, but he was like, And it's like starting to hit him a little every second it goes by. He's like, that really just happened. And he's panicking and he's weeping and he's crying and he's screaming. And for, for the next couple of minutes of the video, it's the boy just, just, just freaking out. Like, like, like he was just shaking and he, he was just sitting there and he was starting to comprehend and he was still for a moment and then he would just start yelling. He didn't know how to react to that. Looked like Van Damme on Bloodsport. Have you seen? Right? He was like, I don't know why that just came to my mind. That's what he was doing, though. He was, he was, he was screaming. And as I, as I began to watch the end of this video, I began to think how funny and, and how sad that is. I began to think, that's us. Maybe not you. That, that's, that's me. Because there's times in my life, just, it's taken or something's ripped, and I, I don't know how to react. And um, I began to think about this question. What in your life do you deem as the most valuable thing? For this boy, it was obviously this, this game, games. When you think about it, I, I, need you to, I need you to not just listen to my voice just a minute. I actually need you to think about what do you deem as the most valuable thing, the most treasured thing? What is, what is the most the greatest thing in the universe for you? Is it, is it health? Be healthy. Is it your family? Your spouse? Your friends? What is, the, what is the most valuable thing for you? Is it, is it the feeling of security? Is it the feeling of comfort? Is it wisdom? Is it, is it just growing in knowledge and understanding? Is that the greatest thing? Is it success or riches? Or is it being known by my peers as someone great? Is it, is it some, some part of self-image? Is that the greatest thing? Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says eternity has been written on the hearts of men so that we would seek God. Do, do you know that nothing 
temporal, nothing transient would ever be able to satisfy this longing that's in your heart. And so whatever, whatever this thing is, whatever your greatest thing is, it's, it's what you worship. It's what you're after. It's what you spend your time thinking about and your motivation drawing towards and your energy focused on. That thing, whatever that is, that will be your, your actual worship. And the Bible says is that anything temporary, anything transient, will never ever be able to sustain the longings that is your heart because what's in your heart is something eternal. Something that's never ending. So whatever you spend your heart, your dreams, your greatest thing on, that's what, that's what you'll worship. Let me just be honest with you. Family was never given to you to hold your worship. It's never seen as your kids or, or your spouse or your loved ones. It's never, the, the object of those things are not to hold your worship. Because let's just be honest, we make horrible gods. Don't we? I mean, I'm so needy. God's not needy. And so here's what I know is we have to understand what our ultimate form of worship is. What's the greatest thing to you? Because here's the deal is what you worship will be directly related to your joy Not happiness, it'll be linked to your joy. And so, and so what happens is, is if this video game or thing or stuff that's temporary and transient, that's, that's not the Lord, when that thing is taken from us, it will be directly connected to my joy. Are you, are you following me? And so if my worship is in my family, if somebody gets sick in my family or someone gets a terminal illness in my family or something happens, then my life will fall apart. I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying it's not difficult. I'm saying I will be ruined. Video, Whatever it is, if my job, I lose my job, ruined. Because I'm holding it. I'm holding it as the highest form of worship. My, my money and my comfort. If I don't have enough money, then my life would be ruined because my life revolves around comfort and security. And that's my God. Do you guys see it's directly related to your joy? Nothing temporary, nothing transient, nothing uh, uh, this side under the sun. Solomon would say, it's all vanity because it all goes away. The Apostle Paul said that the greatest thing in the universe is to be united with Christ. Do we believe that, church? If I was honest, I would say yes. Most days. Some days when hardship or persecution befalls. begin to maybe doubt. Paul says the greatest thing is to be united with Christ. He says in Romans chapter 9 that the worst thing that he can think of is to be cut off. 
so that others would come to salvation in Jesus Christ. And he says, I wish that I would be cut off if it would mean that you would come to saving, saving grace in Jesus. And so I believe that Paul says that the greatest thing for us, the greatest thing for his church, the greatest thing for him, the greatest thing for me, is that my ultimate form of worship would be united with Christ, or united with the eternal one, the one who is always faithful and always true and never ending and never changing. Because if my worship is linked to my joy, then he, he never ceases to be God. United with Christ. That's what we were created for. And when this is most understood, then our do- joy would be complete. And I pray that today we would understand our union with Christ in such a way that it's not just something that we know about, but it's something that we experience. Have you ever experienced what it means to be united with Christ? To have him as your ultimate treasure? To be the one that is the the top of the mountain of worship for you? There's a lot of good things in the world, amen? There's a lot of things that are worthy of love and affection. But may he be the highest, the most, the greatest treasure of our hearts. Because our worship depends on it. And our joy and our life depends on it. And so here we are, John chapter 14. Sorry, 15. I'm going to start in 14. I want you to see how being in Christ is directly linked to our joy. Let's start in 1431 because I need you to see something before we get into 15. 1431, this is Jesus speaking, and he's speaking to the disciples just hours before he's going to go to the cross. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit's going to come, be your helper and your comforter. And verse 31, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, but I do as the Father has commanded me. He says, everything I say, everything I do, every action that I take, every step, every moment of my entire life, from before you know me to now that you know me, and before I even came to this earth, everything that I do, I do because the Father said, that's what I want you to do. That's what he just said. I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world would know that I love the Father Rise, and let's get out of here. And so what we need to see is that Jesus always does what the Father commands. We also need to see that the Father, God, oversees everything. Do you know that? Do you believe that? That God the Father sees everything. You realize Jesus knows he's about to go to the cross. He's about to suffer. He's about to be beat. He's about to be mocked. He's about to go through a torture that we will never experience or even understand. And he says, I do what the Father orchestrates. He is the the author and the orchestrator over everything that happens. Everything. The cross. The punishment. The persecution that you as disciples are going to face, everything is put together because God commands it to be together. That's how God works. Every part of the sacrificial slaughter of Jesus was commanded by God. 
It was God's plan from the beginning. The cross was not some plan B or some afterthought. Everything up to this point and everything moving forward was God's plan. So the Father himself, in this text, and still today, is commanded by the Father. Anybody have a rough week? Anybody have a joyful week? How about a rough morning? Joyful morning? The Father commands it all. Look at it again. I do as my Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go for here. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus says, I'm about to go to the cross and I'm going to become the source of all life. I'm going to become the source of all fruitfulness. I'm going to become the true vine. And my father, he's going to tend to this vine. He's the vine dresser. He's the one who prunes. He's the one who shapes the vine. He's the one that orchestrates it all. And I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to rise from the grave for all of your sin so that whoever believes in me will be attached to me and I will be the source of life and fruit for them. I'm the true vine. That's what he says. And so here we have the vine. We have branches. And we have the vine dresser. Now look in verse 2. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch. Give me those next two words. In me. And we're talking about branches that are attached to who? The vine. Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit. He takes away. Let me read it for you this way. Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he, God, the Father, the vine dresser, he takes those branches away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he, my Father, the vine dresser, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. There's two things that the Father does. The father cuts branches off, and the father prunes. Those are two things. The father cuts away the lifeless, and he cultivates the living. The father, he will, he will destroy the fruitless, and he disciplines the fruitful. That's what we do with our plants, isn't it? Verse 2, it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the vine dresser, my father, he takes away. And if you skip down to verse 6, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and it withers. And the branches are gathered and they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. Okay, for me, that raises a, Pretty important question. Does it not in your heart? 
can a branch, a believer, a disciple of Jesus, have eternal union with Christ in one moment and then in the next moment be cut off and throw away? Is that what it means? After all, it says a branch that's in me can be taken away and burned up. Does it mean that my union with Christ is not permanent, not secure? Can we be in Christ and then be cut off? Does God not keep his own? Does Jesus not gather his own? It's an important question, isn't it? Can a person be born again, as it says in John 3, and still be lost? Can a person be a child of God, like it says in John 1, 12, and still be lost? Could it be that a person can be uh, Christ's sheep, like it says in John chapter 10, and then not be gathered into the fold at the end? Okay, look at me. The answer is no. That's not possible. It's not possible for you to be in Christ and then be cut off. Because actually the scripture teaches the opposite is true. God teaches that that God has chosen for himself a people and those whom he's chosen he's given to the son and nothing can separate them out of the son's hand. The scripture teaches that he keeps them for all eternity, that my sheep, they know my voice and they follow me and they are mine and I am theirs and they are, they are completely secure in me. That's what the scripture teaches. John chapter six, verse 37, I think we've got it up here. He says, all that the father has given me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will what? Never cast out. Never Verse 39, it says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I lose nothing. I lose nothing. I will lose nothing. I will lose nothing of all that God, he, my father, has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. Listen, not one branch. I don't lose them. Those who belong to the father, God gives to the son, And the son, he says, I will give them eternal life and I will secure them forever and they will never perish and I will gather them into my fold. John 10, 27. He says, my sheep, they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I lose nothing. Nothing can take you out of my hand. You are my sheep. That's pretty strong, is it not? That gives me confidence. How about you? That's pretty strong. That's, that's real security. However, there must be a kind of attachment to Jesus 
that doesn't lead to eternal security. There must be some type of disciple that doesn't end up eternally saved with Jesus, but rather they're cut off. And so what's the difference? How do we know? Well, the difference is abiding and fruit-bearing. After all, it says, who is in me can still be lost and be cut off and thrown away. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit is taken away. I want to show you one example of this. Okay? Flipped to the left to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus just feeds thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Then he talks about his, his body being sacrificed, his blood being sacrificed. The disciples say it's a hard teaching. Look in verse 62. Jesus says, do you take offense to this hard teaching? Jesus says, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Let me repeat that. It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you. This is why, because it's possible to believe but then be cut off to, to be somehow connected to Jesus, but be cut off. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. You see, the Spirit, it gives life, but the flesh, it's no help at all. Just repeating verse 63. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples, followers, what did they do? They turned back. They no longer followed or walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you, you want to go also? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, who, whom shall we go? You, you have the words to eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? Yes, the answer there is yes. And yet one of you is a devil. One of you will betray me. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for one of the twelve was going to betray him. In the same way, there are branches and there are true branches. Are you following me? There are disciples, and there's true disciples. John 8.30, it says that many believed. John chapter 8, verse 30, it says many believed. And then Jesus talks to those who believed, many of the Jews believed, and he talks to them, and he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. 
Verse 37, just five verses later, he says, but my word finds no place in you. And so here we are in verse 31, the Jews believed. He says, if you abide in my word, you believe in me if you abide in my word. And then five verses later, he says, but my word has no place in you. So it's possible to believe in verse 31. And so what's the difference between a disciple and a true disciple, a follower and a true follower, a believer and a true believer, branches and true branches. Eric, why are you talking about this? Because it is so important for us to know where we are. Where are you? What's your form of worship? What are you rooted to? The difference is abiding and fruit bearing. Listen, you, you, you can get angry with me, But all I've done up to this point is just read to you the Bible. And so let's look at what this means for us. Look in verse 2 again, chapter 15, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, my father, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes For a reason, he disciplines so that it would bear more fruit. Uh, I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 12 where it says the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son in whom he receives. The father prunes, the father disciplines, the father chastises for our good, for our holiness, so that we would know more fruit and so that we would know that he is the pinnacle of our worship. Without any of this chastisement, without any of this pruning, we would never understand or never know that he is the ultimate in our worship, which is directly linked to our joy. The Father commands all things, and it's for our joy that we would be united in this way with Christ, that we would bear more fruit. Let me give you an example of this. Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus is tried. Jesus is beat. Jesus is punched, spit on, and mocked, and nails driven through his hands and his feet as he hangs upon the cross almost six hours suffocating and drowning under his own blood. And the scripture says that it was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. It was the joy to endure the cross. Now when we go through stuff, how can that be our joy? He says it was his joy. Was it his joy that he was getting beat up? Was it his joy that uh, he was happy that the nails were driven through his hands and his feet? Is that what made him joyful? He knows that the Father is commanding all things and that the end result of this chastisement, this punishment, would be the way that he draws you and I into him and we become his sheep and his children. He knew the end result to know that this is going to bear the most 
fruit, and so I'll gladly endure it, and it is my joy to endure it, because in the end of the suffering comes great glory and closer to God, and that he is my treasure, and so I'll walk in his commands. And so here I am. It was a joy that cannot be stripped from him no matter what they did. It was the same thing Paul says. He says, I've known persecution. I've known hunger. I've known nakedness. I've known good. I've known bad. But I count it all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. My Lord, whatever befalls me, whatever happens, if I am truly a part of the vine, it's so that I would bear more fruit. Holiness, righteousness is being united with Christ. God is in control. The branches that are not truly in the vine will be cut off. And the branches that are in the vine will be pruned. Take heart, believer. When you go, those trials that James says, trials and persecutions of many kinds. Oh, there's many kinds, amen? And if you're his disciple... That's him pruning you, which is a sign that you are a true disciple. Now, up to this point, Eric, it kind of sounds like to me uh, works-based righteousness. It seems like uh, I need you to tell me now how I bear fruit because uh, apparently... Like true disciples, true believers will bear fruit. And so, so tell me what I need to do so that I can bear some fruit. And if I bear some fruit, then I know that I'm a truly a believer. So tell me what I need to do. That's not the gospel. The gospel is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is no work of your own. It is a gift of God so that no man can boast. No man can stand up here and say, hey, you need to bear fruit like I bear fruit because only if you bear fruit are you going to be in Christ. No, Christ draws, Christ brings, Christ woos by his grace. Are you saved? It's not a works-based righteousness. Let me show you this. So right when you think that there's something that you've got to do, he throws in verse 3 that really gives me a confidence. I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me does not bear fruit. He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 3, already you are clean. You hear it? You're already clean. You're already clean. Because of the word that I've spoken to you. It's nothing that has to do with you. The flesh is no help at all, remember? It is the spirit that gives life. Your flesh is no help at all. It is me. You're already clean because of the word that I spoke to you in which you believed. It sounds like the same conversation they were having in John 13. Remember when Jesus was washing their feet? And Jesus says in 13.10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, 
because he's completely clean. And you are clean. But not every one of you. He was talking about Judas. Verse 3 says, you are clean. You are clean. You are washed. They are clean. But you need to be pruned. Don't you love that? That you're already clean, but there's still areas that he's still orchestrating and working and pruning so that, so that, so that you could be more fruit bearers. And so what the things that befall me are not a punishment. I'm not under, I'm not under wrath. I'm under mercy. And so whatever befalls me is him shaping me like a, like a potter does a pot. Like, like, like the clay is being formed. He says, I need to prune you. I need to shape you. I need to wash just your feet. You're already clean. If you're in me, I will prune you because of the word that I've spoken to you. He says, because you're mine and I am yours, you're being washed and pruned, which is a sign that you're mine. The word here, when he says, because of the word that I've spoken to you, it stands for the whole message of Jesus. It stands for those who stand and lift up the truth that Jesus says. That he says, I am the son of God. I bring eternal life. I'm the one who forgives sins. No one can come to me unless the father enables him. I'm coming to Jesus. I am his. He is mine. He will give me eternal life. That is the truth that I'm clinging to. That's the word that saves me. There's nothing else that I can do besides submit and say, Jesus, wash me. Jesus, prune me. Jesus, cleanse me. Abiding in that truth, abiding in that word is the connection between you and Christ. It's the connection of your unity. It's the connection between you and the true vine, that you are completely clean. If you are true disciples, not like Judas, then you are clean. Look in John 5, 24. I've got it up here. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That means he's, you've already passed from death to life. You've already gone through it. You cannot come into judgment because of your union with Christ. You've already passed through judgment. He already partook the judgment that was due for you upon the cross. Which means you'll never be cut off. Now look in verse 4. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Here it is. And because you're already clean, you'll abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much, much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in Jesus for your life. Not only your fruit depends on it, but your life depends on it. Abide in Jesus for all that you are. Obedience, abide. Abide is simply the result of what you already are. Clean. Fruit bearers. You've not come into judgment. All right, let me close with this. What is abiding in the vine? That's the question we've been waiting for. What is abiding in the vine? What is abiding in Christ? And why is abiding in Christ so important for my life? If we're already clean, Eric, then what's the point of having to abide in Christ? Why is that such strong language here? Because Jesus loves his children. Because Jesus, he loves his sheep. Because Jesus loves those who trust in him. Jesus has a great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He made us alive together with him. He loves us. Jesus loves you so much that he wants your life to be full of joy and there is nothing other than him that can do that. He wants you to have joy. Listen, not happiness. Happiness is an emotion and it's fleeting and it's failing. You know when happiness comes? When the game's on. When our team's winning. How long does that last? It's fleeting. Happiness is is so emotional. Happiness comes through video games. Happiness, it comes through being healthy. Happiness, it comes through uh, a success and security. But how long does that last? That's not joy. It's an emotion. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. I cannot conjure up joy through transient temporary things. And so Jesus says, if you would abide in me, I would abide in you and your joy will be complete. And the fruit that you begin to bear is more of joy that nothing of this world can take away, that nothing of these circumstances can change. And you can go through things like the cross or go through things like jail and persecution like Paul and say, I still have joy because nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Not height, nor depth, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things in this present, nor things to come, nor nakedness nor persecution. No, 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 nothing can separate me. That's joy. Are you with me? 
That's joy. And so the reason why the focus is abiding, if you're clean, abide in me because your joy is at stake. And what you worship will be directly linked to your joy. Would you worship Jesus? Would you give your life to Jesus? Will you say, Jesus, I've tried everything else, but I need you? Everything else is fleeting and failing. I need joy. Jesus says in John 15, I have spoken to you so that my joy would be complete in you. Here's the deal. When we abide in the word and the truth that Jesus has spoken, his joy becomes our joy. His love becomes our love. My joy may be in you. Your joy may be overflowing and never failing. The very reason your joy can now be fulfilled is because only in your union with Christ. Are you united with Christ today? Are you united with him? This is the fruit. As the band comes up, I just want to talk to you for a second. You're probably sitting there thinking to yourself, Eric, I don't remember the last time I had joy in my life. And any joy that maybe I've experienced has been fleeting like the wind. If you're not there, maybe there's a day that's coming. Maybe you battle depression or self-worth. What it means to be secure. Abide in me. Trust my word. That anyone who comes to me, I will not cast out. Cling to him as the true vine. Come to him. And when our, our lives face strong, strong brokenness, may we know that it is the Father that prunes and that we can come to him all the more. May he be the focus of our worship because our joy depends on it. May he be glorified in your life. Jesus says, abide in my joy and my love, not just for fruit, but for your joy. It's the greatest experience in the world. Can we pray for that? Let's do it. all of me at first can be so scary because there's things of this world that I love and I cling to 
And I've been deceived by the great deceiver, thinking that those things would somehow satisfy my soul. They never do. Jesus, is this church today? I pray that we would cling to your word and your truth. And that through the cross, we can receive forgiveness. And through your resurrection, we can receive new life. And through the power of the Spirit, we can worship you. Jesus, I pray that you would be greater in my affections, greater in my desires, that you, your, my union with you would be the first thing that I long for. So that, so that I would find your joy and your satisfaction in all of my life. For that, Jesus, I need you. There is nothing I can do on my flesh to make that happen. And so I ask now, Jesus, that you would meet me and meet us right here. In Jesus' name.